From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Howdy to those of you streaming us live on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And uh, again, a special hello to everyone gathered in the YouTube live chat. I will be taking questions uh, this hour from the live chat as well. Ryan, my uh, live stream producer, will gather those together and send those to me to read on air. And uh, Joseph Farrell stays with us this hour. Again, a recognized scholar. Uh, PhD in philosophy from the University of Oxford, and uh, the author of some 37 books, including Hidden Finance, Covert Wars, and Breakaway Civilizations, The Third Way. Uh, And again, the website is GizaDeathStar.com, and uh, you can read his uh, blogs there. Also, his YouTube channel, News and Views from the Nefarium. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I'm not familiar, or uh, I've never met uh, or was ever that familiar with Mark McClandlish, Mark McClandlish, UFO researcher, and um, you noted his passing recently. Tell me a little. Tell us a little bit about who Mark was and the unusual circumstances of his death. Well, Mark was one of the speakers uh, at the 2014 uh, Secret Space Program uh, conference in San Mateo, California, along with me and uh, Richard Dolan, Catherine Fitz, and, and some other people. And he had been involved kind of, I don't want to say as kind of a mainstream uh, ufology researcher, but his forte was that he was a mechanical uh, artist. In other words, his specialty was being able to draw three-dimensional representations of aircraft and things like this from blueprints or what have you. So he was in pretty high demand as an illustrator for magazines like Popular Aviation or Popular Mechanics and so on and so forth. And he got interested in UFOs and came out with a series of drawings on what was called the Alien Reconstruction Vehicle or the Alien Recovery Vehicle in some instances and uh, had delved into this uh, story that had been floating around in ufology for some time and did technical drawings of of this craft based on what people had told him. And he presented this at the conference, and he and I had been in touch kind of off and on after that conference. Very nice man. Uh, He was uh, very well-spoken and courteous man, not the kind of individual that, you know, in my short acquaintance with him, I would ever have assumed would blow his brains out with a shotgun, which is what's the story. Uh, he died just this last April, apparently, of, of self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head. And I, I'm just not buying the story, Richard, um, because almost immediately uh, a friend, uh, another speaker at that conference, Robert Morningstar, uh, delved into this story a little bit more and discovered that it's being investigated at the federal level because apparently Mr. McCandlish was scheduled to testify to some congressional inquiry. Now, I don't know if if it was an official committee, but he was apparently scheduled to testify for some sort of congressional investigation and then all of a sudden turns up dead. 
And the thing that I find very unusual about this, Richard, is the parallel with George de Morenschultz, who was one of the people of interest to the, to the Senate and House committees on assassinations back in the 70s regarding the JFK assassination. De Morenschultz was scheduled to testify, and a few days before his, his testimony, he himself shows up dead, again, allegedly a suicide by shotgun to the head. And, you know, the parallel here is just a little too much for me to swallow. Number one, it would be very difficult for anyone to commit suicide by using a shotgun to their head. You know, you somehow I have to pull the trigger. So uh, it, it's, it's just not making sense to me. I'm not buying the narrative that this was uh, a suicide because he just, Mr. McCandless just did not strike me as the kind of individual that would do that. And what was the nature of this Senate hearing? That I don't know. Uh, I'm simply conveying to you what Mor Mr. Morningstar has reported. And as far as I know, it was UFO-related, but there are no further details other than that. So and, I don't and know. The, but. And the, uh, the ARV story, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, the alien recovery vehicle? What is that story? This is a story that, that the, the alien recovery vehicle was a vehicle supposedly constructed, reverse engineered, on the basis of supposed or alleged UFO crashes. So the alien reconstruction vehicle is actually, from top to bottom, a human engineered vehicle. It was supposedly done out in California. I forget exactly where, but it's one of those... Uh, big installations down in Southern California around Helmdale and so on where they have all the skunk works. But uh, he was told about this story and given enough details that he was able to draw. And you can, you can go on, uh, on the blog that I wrote on my website about his death and see some of his work. It's, it's very high-quality work, you know, in terms of artistic representation. But he delved into it and, and drew the interior of this vehicle that had allegedly been reverse-engineered from UFOs. One of the things I found very interesting about it was that some of the physics he described in his presentations at San Mateo were very similar in their concept to some of the things that I believe were connected to the Nazi bell. Uh, and that, you know, that to me only kind of ratcheted up the uh, the possibility that what he was describing as the alien reconstruction vehicle was, was actually something that they had tried or experimented with. So you're dealing with somebody, you know, he was not, he was not really all that interested in ETs or not ETs or so on. He was simply trying to present the stories of the technology that he heard about. Uh, so that gives his work kind of a unique little niche in, in ufology. Right, right. So when this, you know, they, this document came out, it was um, a scientist who wrote uh, basically some notes after a meeting he had with the former, I believe it was the uh, former uh, intelligence chief with the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said he, he um, had uncovered this, um, the secret program. Uh, tried to get read in onto the program, was denied, even though he was the uh, head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs. And But he was told um, in a secret meeting that, uh, yes, 
uh, some agency had recovered UFO uh, technology, uh, but they weren't having much success in back engineering it. So it sounds like McClandlish was maybe uncovered something to suggest that, oh, oh, yes, they have. They've had a great deal of success. We have this technology now, and, and maybe, you know, that might explain um, these the Tic Tac uh, UFO videos, uh, even though the the Pentagon is saying they're not ours, they're not ours. Well, maybe that well, kind no, of blows I'm, that that out of the water. Well, the the Tic Tac videos, you know, and, and all of this stuff. I, you know, you can go look up patents online for triangular shaped vehicles that use some form of field propulsion. What bothers me about all of this is not so much that the technology apparently does exist. What bothers me is the constant rush to attribute it to E.T. And what's interesting about Mr. McCandlish was he was never uh, never one to, to doubt the stories that he was being told, but his, his real attitude was the nuts and bolts of it. He wanted to know about the technology, what made it work, what was the thinking behind it, and so on and so forth. And what's really very interesting about that alien reconstruction vehicle, at least from my perspective, is that there's nothing about it that tells me or compels me to go to E.T. as an explanation for it. So in other words, the the idea that this was a vehicle reconstructed on the basis of what they had they had recovered from crashed and recovered UF vehicle UFO vehicles um, that to me could be a cover story for what they're really up to. In other words, that this might be wholly a human product. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm increasingly skeptical, Richard, about uh, the ET narrative, particularly from governments that have been willing to lie to our faces about, you know, masks and vaccines and so on and so forth. So, um, I think I think his his testimony might have perhaps endangered that narrative to some extent. I don't know. You know, I'm just speculating here. Are you are you thinking that the the technology exists and that that these are made in the good old USA or are, did this technology find its way into the hands of our adversaries Russia China well I think a lot of it I, I go back to what I've been writing about in my Nazi series of books I wrote a book uh, a few years ago that ufology loves to ignore I, I, it's called Roswell and the Reich and it's, it's about the Roswell incident and my my take, Richard, is that I think we're looking at a lot of human technology that has been utilized in a kind of psychological warfare, uh, false flag, prep the narrative sort of way. Um, in fact, I wrote about that thesis in another book of mine called Saucers, Swastikas, and Psyops. Um, I, I think that possibility has to be entertained. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not... Uh, I'm not philosophically opposed to the idea of E.T. or anything like that, but in my very cursory, admittedly very cursory examination of, of UFOs and, and various UFO stories, I have yet to be convinced by any of them that we are, must be compelled to conclude that a lot of these things are uh, extraterrestrial. I'm just, I'm just not yet convinced of that. Um, I agree. 
Yeah. I, I share I share your feelings on that. Uh, let's go back to the YouTube live stream chat room and uh, YY checks in. She wants to go back to the uh, COVID discussion we had earlier. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any correlation with the vaccine and 5G rollout? Oh wow, <laughs> that's a that's a whopper. As a matter of fact, I, I have. Um, if if Wi-Fi remembers, go back to the initial weeks when the the planned scandemic was, you know, the, all the breaking news. Interestingly enough, if you look at those early outbreaks, and I'm thinking in particular in China, Iran, and Italy, those outbreaks, and you, you have to do a little digging Wi-Fi on, on the Internet to find this stuff because, you know, they've They've, they're long since passe in terms of the uh, in terms of the COVID narrative, but it was a few weeks after it started to break that you found these clusters of cases breaking out where there had already been a rollout of 5G. Ubecha asks Joseph, how do you compare COVID vaccine passports compared to the long-standing requirement to have your kids get a vaccine to go to school or vaccines for yellow fever to travel? Which is an interesting point. So, you know, in other words, why are we getting all upset about and worked up about vaccine passports? In many jurisdictions, your children must be vaccinated to go to school and you have to have a yellow vaccine to to travel. Well, I'm getting worked up about it simply because of the nature of what these vaccines are. They're not, and I'm referring to the mRNA vaccines. These are not standard vaccines in any, any traditional sense at all. These are highly experimental vaccines, and they admit as much. And this is the reason they've been exempted from, you know, the normal uh, long-term trials and so on. So I'm extremely skeptical in that instance. And number two, I I simply don't buy the universality of of vaccines. I grew up, uh, as many people in the United States did, in a state where this was not a requirement. Uh, in fact, the only vaccine I've ever had in my life is is the polio vaccine, the Sabin vaccine, when I was very young. Uh, I've not had uh, any vaccine ever since that. Um, so it's not a, an entirely universal experience. So, you know, I, I, I question that as well. I'm not worked up about the idea of vaccines. What I'm worked up is the idea of these vaccines being mandated with a passport that you you have to be vaccinated against this COVID uh, to be able to shop and so on and so forth. Because I have yet to convince that that we're even dealing with COVID, you know, look into, look into the actual uh, facts about the pathology of this thing. Have they actually proven that this is a virus and have they proven that this is the virus causing these effects? Right, right, and the and the passport isn't just for travel, as you as you right. say. It, it it is increasingly clear that there are a number of uh, businesses right. that uh, are going to require you to 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 have a passport just to you know participate in um, in normal activities. Yeah. So yeah, that's this, that's very concerning you know, this, as well. This is, yeah, this is just plain old fashioned tyranny, and you know I'm, I've got bad news for them. I ain't doing it. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to kill me. Uh, D. Silver asks, how does the shedding uh, from those who received the vax affect others around them? I don't know if you're um, willing to answer that. Well, I'm aware of the stories, Richard, and I've been trying on my my website 
to follow this story as closely as I can and to post articles every now and then of, of things that I think are uh, trustworthy enough for people to, you know, to study. The shedding stuff is so new, I have not yet made up my mind about it. I haven't seen enough information to really make any conclusion. Now, I suspect strongly that this is the case because of the nature of the, like we said earlier, the nature of these mRNA vaccines. They are literally tweaking your body to produce this stuff. So in other words, you, you become vaccinated and you're actually much more possible to, to be shedding this stuff than not. But uh, as, as for the mechanism and the vector of how this works and why it's working in this fashion, I have not seen enough yet to, to make any conclusion about it. All right. I want to get back into um, matters involving space and uh, specifically Mars. Uh, you, you posted a uh, blog, I'm not sure how long ago, it wasn't too long ago, uh, discussing some rather interesting formations that you've spotted on uh, on Mars. First, there, there was uh, some discussion about some ice uh, formations on the planet, and uh, that led you to look a little further, and, and what did you spy? Well, the, I think the blog that you're referring to is called Barsoom Shrooms, <laughs> Barsoom Mushrooms. Uh, right, right. Well, there, were, there, there was another one called Meanwhile Back on Mars, More Perfectly Natural Formations. But yes, oh, yeah. the other one as well. Yeah. Well, the Barsoom Shrooms thing is, is this very odd set of pictures that appear to depict these bulbous-like things in the tracks of, of the rover itself that weren't there uh, when it, you know, it comes strolling on by and then all of a sudden they are there in the tracks and this led some scientists to conclude that are they looking at some form of fungus you know some form of mushroom that's growing on the surface now it's you know it's a bit of fun but they do raise an interesting point how can you have natural rock formations which is nasa's explanation of course suddenly appearing in the in the tracks of the rover when they weren't there before (laughs) so right right it does look like something is growing whether or not it's mushrooms or not we don't know but the other uh if i remember correctly the other blog that you're referring to is about some pictures that were shown on mars and again richard you've you've got to look at these pictures and forget the narrative that the that anyone's trying to tell you, me or NASA or anyone else, just look with your eyes and see if you can find things that don't look like they should belong there. In other words, do they really look all that natural? And one of these things was NASA saying that, well, this is a bunch of ice crystals that we're looking at. Well, for one thing, if you look at the way ice forms and crystals, usually it forms in a hexagonal pattern, you know, snowflakes, for example. And none of these things look like any sort of natural ice crystal in that respect because a lot of these things are very rectilinear, <laughs> you know, 90-degree right, angles right. and so on and so forth. So, again, um, it's it's very, very odd that you see so much of this stuff on the surface of Mars. And, you know, you know me. I, I think that these are actual artificial remains of some sort from somebody that lived up there long, long ago. I mean, you know, I've never hesitated to tell people what I think about Mars. But what's really interesting here, Richard, and I'm going to give your listeners a clue, this coming Tuesday, I have a blog coming up on my website 
about some travel posters that NASA <laughs> that NASA came up with. And they have a bunch of travel posters for Enceladus and Europa, you know, all the Venus and so on and so forth. And you've got to admit that these travel posters have a bit of a sense of humor to them. But what's very interesting is that the travel poster for Mars at the top reads, visit all the historic sites. <laughs> and, and then at the bottom, it says, art, culture, architecture, agriculture. <laughs> so, <clears throat> pardon me, either Mars, or pardon me, either NASA's having... Uh, <clears throat> Joseph, I'm going to let you get a, a glass of water, just um, no, I'm, coincidentally. I'm we're, we're, you know, I'm, we're heading into a break. We're going to head oh, into a okay. break anyway, so okay. we're, we're, uh, we're good. All right, back with more of my conversation with Joseph Farrell, and uh, we'll talk more on uh, cosmic warfare, the secret space program, uh, much more to come. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Joseph Farrell stays with us. GizaDeathStar.com and um, also his YouTube channel, News and Views from the Nefarium. So we were talking about Mars and a little bit about the secret space program. You mentioned Catherine uh, Austin Fitz uh, earlier and the, the missing trillion, something like $21 trillion missing from uh, the U.S. government. Um, so is it your belief that that much of this money is being funneled into the secret space program for what the construction of deep space platforms and so forth. No, I, I do think that, and here's why. She and I kind of bumped into this problem from completely opposite ends, um, and that's why that's why we kind of connected because we both realized that there's a lot of money missing, and the way I view things, Richard, is money flows are like an electrical circuit. You put power in at the load end, and it pops, pardon me, you put the power in at the power end, and it pops out at the load end. And if not enough power is popping out at the load end, then it's going somewhere else. You know, you've either got a short in the system, that, and it's bleeding power somewhere, but that's the problem. So if we go back to, to let's say, the bailouts in 2008, they pumped an enormous amount of money into the system, or did they? Because the, the amounts of money should have shown up as massive inflation, and yet it hasn't. And now, you know, I just mentioned the 17, you know, or 14, whatever amount of quadrillions of dollars you want to go with here. That amount of money in, is still sloshing around in the system as derivatives. So Mr. Globaloney or Mr. Bankster has a huge problem, and I think that's one of the things behind this Great Reset stuff, because... If you want to get away with a heist like that, take everybody to digital currency and keep yourselves behind a one-way mirror, and you can basically do whatever you wish. But my problem is, still, that money should be showing up somewhere, somehow, and yet it's not. So I've actually speculated um, that somehow this money may actually be going off-world. How? I don't know. But I do find it very, very interesting to ponder the fact that the European nations, Germany in particular, are talking about opening up 4G and 5G networks on the moon, you know, and 
putting up the satellite network to make that work, and so on and so forth. So my question is, who are we doing commerce with up there? Mm, a breakaway the civilization. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my thinking. And somehow they they need this system to work in order to carry out and conduct the commerce that may already be involved in it. And and I know that sounds wild and woolly, but if you stop and think about it, not so much, especially if they're talking about going out and mining asteroids. Right, right. Uh, so where are the whistleblowers? We had um, McKinnon, I guess. It was. was it McKinnon in Great Britain who... Uh, yep hacked into the Pentagon computers and found evidence of, of a secret space program and so forth. And, and uh, uh, we have, you know, from time to time, we hear about these seemingly crazy stories. Uh, you know, I'm sorry for people to believe them. I just find them just too outlandish. Someone like, you know, Captain Randy Kramer, who claims that he was, uh, you know, a soldier on Mars and so forth. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe there's some credibility there. But uh, um, but where are the whistleblowers, the 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 credible whistleblowers um, that, are the, that, that can tell us about these deep space platforms, deep space colonies, seek, uh, and this breakaway civilization. Richard, I, I'm glad you said that because I've wondered the same thing. We've got whistleblowers in every other field, but the ones here are always telling some crazy yarn. And that makes me wonder, to what lengths, then, are they willing to go in order to keep all this stuff secret if, indeed, the, these so-called whistleblowers that are telling their crazy yarns are coming up with such craziness in order to keep people from really, really considering the possibility that we may have something out there. Now, you mentioned Gary McKinnon. McKinnon claimed to have hacked into the Department of Defense and discovered an entire secret space fleet with the names of the captains and the names of the ships and so on. And that sounds like yet another crazy yarn, except if you go back and read Ronald Reagan's memoirs, he mentions in the memoirs, I think it was around 1986-87, that he had been told by the Pentagon, that the United States had a space lift capacity at that time of 300 people. In other words, it could move 300 people in space at that time. Well, if you look at the state of the space shuttle fleet at that time, we were at best, perhaps, capable of moving 40 at best. So wow. in other words, either Reagan is telling, letting something out that he shouldn't have let out and telling us the truth or he's letting out a bit of disinformation to make you know soviet russia communist china think twice one of the two now i happen to think he probably was letting out something genuine uh... because i suspect that the censors you know for whatever reason weren't paying too much attention to ronnie at that point because he was a little you know he was a little bit like like Biden at that point in time. But um, I, I, I suspect that there we had a little whistleblower moment. Interesting, interesting. And that's 30, no. 34 years ago. I mean, yep. <laughs> what, what capabilities do they have now? Uh, Solar Warden wants your take on Bob Lazar and his account of uh, Area 51. I have always... Uh, 
said Solar Warden that I'm very suspicious of that whole narrative, and here's why. Lazar claims to have taken samples of an element that he claims at, at S4 was used to propel the saucers that he claims to see, or to have seen. And the element was Unum Pentium, element 115, all right? And then later on, his stories elaborated by uh, John Lear that they had uh, taken some of this element 115 and kept it in Lazar's home for about half an hour before they did something else with it. Now, here's my problem with that story. If you go to any standard physics reference book, element 115 has indeed been synthesized. Uh, I believe it was first synthesized in, in Darmstadt, Germany, sometime after Lazar's story. And it's one of those heavy elements that are beyond the transuranic element series where the half-life of the element becomes longer and the element becomes more stable. But the problem is the half-life is still nowhere near long enough for anybody to be able to keep a sample of it for half an hour. <laughs> That's my mm. with Bob Lazar. Disinformation officer, or a dis- disinformation agent, rather. Do you suspect? Yeah, yeah I, that's what I suspect, yes. So I uh, interviewed a couple of, uh, there's, a, there's an organization of former uh, people who worked at either Wright Pad or uh, Groom Lake or Area 51. They're called the Roadrunners. And, uh, of course, they would neither confirm or deny that they worked at Area 51, but they worked in the spy plane program and so forth. And uh, they were adamant that the whole UFO uh, narrative was concocted in order to throw people off of what was really happening at Area 51. In other words, you know, that we, we've, we've had this technology for a very long time. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't require back engineering crashed vehicles from extraterrestrials we're doing this it's ours what are your thoughts well i tend to agree with that um you got to go back to the early period of the u-2 flights uh that's when i i believe that the american intelligence community began to push this idea that these lights that we're seeing traveling super fast in the sky are extraterrestrial as a deflection from technology that they wanted to keep secret uh, so I, I tend to agree with that. But the other thing is that we have to take into consideration statements of people like Ben Rich, the former head of, of the Lockheed Skunk Works. Toward the end of his life, he allegedly made statements to the effect, well, you know, we found an error in the equations, and now we can take E.T. home, and so on and so forth. And these claims are there. I happen to think that if you study the people involved in the American Black Project's research world in this advanced aeronautic technology, you know, people like Benridge, people like Thomas Townsend Brown, and so on and so forth, and do a little digging into what they were thinking, in Brown's case, way back in the 1920s. It's clear that there is a a pattern of thought, of development, of conceptualization of, of basic things in physics that we would regard today as as science fiction. But these were very serious people, and they were thinking these things, and they were writing about them. So, you know, with enough money 
and with enough uh, commitment for a long-term project, could they have pulled some of these things off? I think probably the answer is yes. All right. Another time out, Joseph. Back on the other side, more of our discussion. Thanks so much for hanging with us for the full two hours. Appreciate it. Joseph Farrell, GizaDeathStar.com, the website. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Joseph, I want to go back to um, one of your blogs, recent blogs on GizaDeathStar.com, and it's it's entitled The Physiology of Precognition. And um, as you point out, it's a a wild article uh, that I guess someone shared with you, and it, it has to do with these scientists who have discovered that the heart and brain can respond to future events, obviously, before they happen. Tell me more. Well, I find that very interesting because it it seems to present a physiological case that, that the structure of the brain and the heart, and, and they're very, very similar, somehow represent or mirror the the fabric of the universe. And the reason I find that very interesting is you can go online and look at pictures of galactic clusters and what they think are the plasma strands that connect them and then compare those pictures to actual neural mapping of neurons in the brain and they're remarkably similar. Yes. And this is this is not the only case that we have where macrocosmic structures, you know, very large structures mirror very small structures because I I pointed out in the cosmic war that if you look at the structures the spiral structures of galaxies and then compare them to pictures of plasmas generated in the laboratory, again, you're seeing some remarkable correspondence. So I suspect that there is or may be a physiological basis to what we ordinarily call precognition, simply because the way that our, our, our brains are designed, they tap into that, that latticework of the universe and... I've always viewed that, Richard, as not so much a field of energy, but a field of information. And Interesting. Once you, yeah. Once you kind of latch on to that idea, then it becomes possible to consider these things may not be as paranormal as, as we've been told. They may be entirely natural, which I think is probably the case. So let me just desc- <clears throat> describe the, uh, this experiment As part of the experiment in physiological responses to future events, participants were made to sit at a computer screen and then were shown pictures of either a calming or emotion evocative nature. And this procedure was then repeated. The pictures remained on the screen for three seconds. And in every run, the pictures were presented in randomized order. The results were astounding. The results of the experiment were uh, fascinating to say the least. The participants' brains and hearts responded to information about the emotional quality of the pictures before the computer flashed them. This means the heart and brain were both responding to future events. The results indicated the responses happened on average 4.8 seconds before the computer selected the pictures. Why isn't this front page news? Well, I think, again, Richard, it's because we, at least publicly, Science is loath to go beyond the materialistic paradigm. 
but yet when you when you look at all of the stuff going on in physics, you know, just look at the stuff that went on in the Soviet Union of all places that supposedly is dedicated, you know, to atheistic materialism and yet they're doing these extraordinary experiments in in what we would call paranormal and documenting these types of abilities, telekinesis, uh, and so on and so forth, and and even precognition in some cases. So I think I think it's such a huge challenge to a scientist brought up in a materialistic paradigm that they just don't even want to go there, and yet you know there it is. So I think I think if you really look at things, we're not only in a big paradigm shift, you know, with COVID and with great resets and so on and so forth. The other reason I think that Mr. Globaloni is in such a hurry is they realize that materialistic paradigm might be breaking down and breaking down big time. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, can you give me, I don't know, an example? What do you mean it's breaking down? Like, well, what, what you, is a... What, Go ahead. And consider, stop and consider the implications of that experiment. If you have a, a natural inbuilt ability so for some sort of precognition, and if that ability can be tweaked, then all of your materialistic measures to control the thought, the emotion, and so on of humanity are going to go right out the window. Because that ability is, is coming, as I, as I suggested, not so much from within the structure of the brain or the heart, but rather those things are, are transducers of information in the field at large, in other words, in the universe at large. So you're never going to be able to turn it off. And it's, it's going to be able to seep in somehow. All you can do at best, perhaps, is jam the signal, and maybe that's what they're up to. You know, Maybe that's why they're in such a hurry. But that's that's my basic speculation as of this moment as to why I think this might be more about things that they're afraid of happening, and we've got to move and implement our control mechanisms quickly, or we're going to lose it. So, uh, are you are we talking about here uh, this a divine connection that that we have? I think so. Yes, you know, um, made in the image and likeness of God. And if if that be so, then that means that there is some sort of intimate connection between humanity and the structure of the universe at large. You know, this is a very ancient idea. I mean, it's not new with me. Uh, you can go back and read it in, in the ancient Greek philosophers, the idea that man is a microcosm of, of the whole universe in some form or fashion. So it's not really all that new of an idea. What I'm suggesting is is that science seems to be in fits and starts getting back to that idea or maybe being dragged back to that idea, kicking and screaming all the way. You know? but, but that's what I think might be going on here. Right. And you point out in this blog, you know, that a number of people have made the comment with this mRNA vaccine, mm -hmm. they've killed God. Yes, that's right. All right, we'll pick up on that on the other side and other matters. Joseph Farrell stays with us. One more segment remains. We'll get back to some more YouTube live chat questions as well. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
All right, Joseph, we're going to return to the YouTube live chat. A question from GBGN1. I love these handles. GBGN1. Uh, well, he wants to uh, uh, discuss a, a topic I know that's near and dear to your heart, and that's Antarctica. Uh, Buzz Aldrin said he saw absolute evil when he was down in Antarctica. Uh, do uh, Does Dr. Farrell have any input on this, feeling on this? Did he actually say that? Is that true? Well, I have heard heard that he did. Now, I've also heard that there are people that dispute that that was genuine. But whether he did say it or didn't say it, I do know that he did say prior to getting on the plane that would take him to Antarctica, we're off to the launch pad. Now, that's a strange statement. Does he mean by launch pad the airplane that's going to take him to Antarctica? Or does he mean that Antarctica is some sort of launch pad? (laughs) You know, this is, right, right. this is the question that hovers over the, his remarks. But what I find interesting is that something is going on down there, and we are not being told what it is. Because, you know, I've pointed out over and over, Richard, that there is a very strange list of people associated with that place. We've got Buzz Aldrin, John Kerry, who interrupts a diplomatic junket in 2016 during one of the most hotly contested elections in American history to go to Antarctica, and we're told that the reason he did that is because he wanted to look at global climate change up close and firsthand. Now, I'm sorry, you know, this is the Secretary of State. He can call any number of assistants at his office in in Washington, D.C., and get all the data that he would ever need about global warming, climate change, and so on and so forth. So something's going on there. Then you have Admiral Byrd and Operation High Jump. You have uh, some of the British royals going to Antarctica. You've got King Juan Carlos going down to Antarctica. Uh, you've got, you've got of all people, uh, Herman Goering sponsoring that Nazi expedition down there. And again, you know, Herman Goering is not sponsoring a science uh, science fair expedition, and he's not the type of individual even to be remotely interested in sponsoring expeditions to go down there and get whale oil and a bunch of other lubricants. You know, he can turn that over to any assistant that he wants. But when you look at the strange number of people involved with the place, it adds up to quite a list. And the question is, why the list of what's going on down there? And crazy as it sounds, I think that John Kerry might be the clue. He he went down there on a diplomatic junket, so I'm thinking, well, is he conducting diplomacy there? And if so, with who? And why go there? Well, one reason you would go there is it's pretty neutral, and it's absolutely so strictly controlled as to who can get in and get out of there that if you're wanting to conduct a secret round of diplomacy with whomever, that's where you'd do it. So I, I do suspect that there is something going on, but as for Buzz Aldrin's statement about uh, what he saw was absolute evil. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. But if it if he did say it, then it's a huge clue. Negotiation, diplomatic negotiations with whom? Are we talking about uh, the Nazi international? It could be anybody. Um, now, I'm not one of those, please let me clear the record, I'm not one of those that believes that the Nazis had a secret UFO base or a secret submarine pen or anything of the sort in in Antarctica during the war for the plain and simple reason that it would have been logistically a nightmare for the Germans to have supplied anything like that. 
much less, you know, a much more capable naval power like Great Britain or the United States. It just would have been a logistical nightmare. But that said, you do have that group of people in southern Argentina at that time. You, you certainly have the ability to, to cloak activities and, and things of that sort. It's either that or someone else is down there, Richard, and, and you know, someone else could be, <laughs> could be anybody from under the earth or off planet. Who knows? I don't. Right, right. There's also rumors that there is a an enormous craft that is emerging from the melting ice down there, and, and uh, this is what people are going to have a look at. What have you heard on that? Uh, well, I've score. heard that. You know, that was that was actually the 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 theme of of the uh, first X Files movie, that there was actually an enormous craft buried in the ice. But you know, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. But by the same token, Richard. Uh, if a few years ago there were all of these people on the internet claiming to find very very curious things that had apparently been blotted out of Google Earth but that you could find if you knew how to look for them because they were hiding these files within other files on Google Earth or so the story went and some of the pictures that they were producing were of gigantic fossilized remains or secret bases and so on and so forth. I don't know if any of that's true, but it's there. You know, I'm just adding a little bit more data to your question. I, I don't have any uh, conclusion one way or another about it. But very obviously, there is something going on down there, and, and very obviously they are not talking about it. So as you cover these stories, whether we're talking about uh, COVID or the Great Reset or the missing trillions or, you know, the manipulation in the gold uh, market and disappearing gold and, and so forth, are you, are you uh, fearful for our future, our immediate future, or are you um, – I mean, how do you feel about it? Do you think that the good guys will win out in the end? Well, for the short term, I'm, I'm – I'm very skeptical and and very anxious. I, I will be blunt and say that. But for the long term, no, I'm not fearful. Because what Mr. Globaloni or whoever's up to all of this nonsense is really trying to create is an inhuman and anti-human f- uh, future. And ultimately, barring any sort of, of external intervention, ultimately... Humanity always throws that stuff off somehow. So in that sense, I'm optimistic, because when you look at Mr. Globaloni, the Klaus Schwabs, and so on of the world, uh, what they're trying to implement and put into place is is quite simply anti-human. And I think this is what's scaring them and why they're moving so fast right now, because people are waking up and seeing just how inhuman it really is. Uh, GizaDeathStar.com. From time to time, you have uh, some of these vid chats on uh, on the YouTube channel. Do you have any coming up? Uh, I've got one coming up next week. Now, people should know that the vid chats are for members only, for paying members of the website. But uh, I do spend a lot of time uh, with those vid chats. In other words, these are not these are not your uh, one hour things. These are these are long and involved, and we get into some pretty interesting types of philosophical discussions in these things. But yeah, that, I have another one coming up next week, and I usually have uh, Richard about three a month. All right. Do you want to tease what this one's uh, this one is about coming up uh, next well, week? I never know what they're about because people submit me questions. And ah. Comments. 
So, you know, I, I know what they're about. They're going to be about about a day beforehand. So, so I never know what they're thinking, you know, and trust me. They, I have a really good group of people that are, are really good dot connectors and thinkers, but I never know what they're about. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. And so, again, people can register at Giza, or GizaDeathStar.com? Right, right. All right. And uh, just very quickly, tell us a little bit more about the Tower of Babel moment, uh, your latest. Well, that uh, was suggested by a comment made in a series of lectures back in the 1970s, believe it or not, by Leonard Bernstein. He called it the Tower of Babel moment of history. But basically what I do in the book is I go through the biblical story and then some other texts that recount the story and, and look, at the, look at the story from the standpoint of the politics involved, if, if that makes any sense. Sure. All right. So uh, available at Amazon, I'm guessing? Uh, no, that's available on Lulu. Ah, all right. The Tower of Babel moment. Well, Joseph, thank you uh, so much for being uh, so generous with your time. Two hours is a long stretch, a lot of talking, and uh, we appreciate it. It's been too long, and thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you very much, Richard, for having me back. I enjoyed it. All right. Joseph P. Farrell, GizaDeathStar.com. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Ryan and Carlos back next week with another live program, God willing. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. What I say in a whisper. (laughs) What do I say in a whisper? (laughs) Proclaim from the housetops. There you go. All right, good night.